All right, so tonight we're moving on in chapter uh, 2 of 1 Timothy, 1 Timotheus chapter 2. Uh, we have a ton of things to pray for, and uh, so I am going to try to leave some time to um, to so we have adequate prayer time. The sun's now up a little longer, try to get you all out. So I used to say so you can go to Dairy Queen, but now you got Culver's, you got all these other choices. All right, well, uh, it's been a good day. I think the Lord's uh, really blessed the church today with the chili cook-off and all of that. That was a fun time. And a good day putting Bibles together the day before and the words going out in HBI and the men's breakfast. And uh, it's uh, been good. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, get into our text. I'm going to go ahead and for, you know, just contextually to to pick up where we left off. This chapter is dealing, chapter 2 of 1 Timothy is dealing uh, obviously with um, the uh, praying men is what we've been talking about. And we looked at verses 1 through 8. So I'm going to read this entire chapter. We're going to finish off as we look at warring women. Man, i got all these militant terms that we're, we're getting into. But uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life with all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity I will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting that's where we've been um, and then we're going to pick it up verses 9 through 11 and talk about warring women in like manner also not to be undone or left out the, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety not with braided hair uh, or gold or pearls or costly array but um, it's broided here, uh, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. Uh, but I suffer not a woman to teach, uh, or nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. All right, so so that male chauvinist Paul, right? What are we going to do with this passage? So uh, <clears throat> we better get into it and break it out so we can see what God has to say about warring women, because you might it, it is not as the way it may seem. So um, so uh, so we saw under verses one through eight that praying men should understand the priority of prayer. They should realize the power of prayer, and they should be leaders in prayer. We left off with Paul's teaching that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. God expects men to lead in prayer because they are responsible for the care of those God has entrusted to them. And so if if men won't lead in prayer, it will be hard for women to follow. And this seems chauvinistic in our modern society because many don't understand or respect authority or understand love, what true biblical love is. Historically, men have abused their role as the head of the home in many cases, and the church and society 
uh, subjugate women and treat them poorly. Uh, conversely, uh, God never intended that men rule women uh, without love and grace, like with a rod of iron. He wants them to lead by example. I just happened onto a, a, a YouTube thing that Amy was watching last night, and it was basically a bunch of you know uh, Gen Zers and millennial types uh, mocking the the uh, the the, um, the era of the uh, what would you call that? Uh, not the colonial, even prior to that, the Victorian age. And, and they did have some crazy, by the way, some crazy customs in regard to uh, man and woman relationships, husband-wife relationships. And basically, we're talking about how misogynistic everything seemed to be in those days. Of course, with no context or understanding. I was literally laughing out loud at some of it uh, because they're talking about how young girls used to get married and all of that. And Because, well, they didn't have adolescence. That's a new thing that was invented in the West in the in the 1900s. And so <clears throat> it used to be you were an adult. You went from childhood to adult. That's just how it used to be um, before the uh, Industrial Revolution. Even in the Industrial Revolution, children became adults very rapidly. If you look back at these great missionaries like Hudson Taylor, and uh, we look at their stories and we're appalled at you know child labor and all the things those guys were doing at 12 years old and, and working in the factories and learning Greek and Hebrew at night and they're like 12, 13, 14 and we like, how did they do that? They were brilliant because they were there was no such thing as adolescence you know, and so it's funny to watch these contemporary people you know, look back at that and think well, how can a young girl be married off at 12 or 13 because they started life early then, I mean that's you're only allowed to be 30, 35 <laughs> so you got to get after it. <laughs> so uh, anyway, is it like that still down in uh, Guatemala? Do they start young? Not so much. Yeah, a lot of the communist countries definitely they they uh, they don't do that either. They ex- they extend uh, youth into your thirties because you're dependent on the state. So it's kind of the opposite. So when we went to Romania in the nineties. For us as Americans, we were Victorian because uh, they they the youth was considered thirty years old because of that that communist uh, mindset. Everybody was on the dole, and, uh, and you lived with your parents, and everybody stayed together. So it it retarded. Uh, that ind- the independence that we have and, and entering adulthood and responsibilities. That has nothing to do with my message other than when you're dealing with chauvinistic behavior and, and all these things, a lot of that has to be put in context, including this passage of what it took to operate in this uh, time of history. So Paul... Uh, starts with instructions for men because they are responsible um, and uh, he wants these men to lead by example and encourage their wives, their daughters, and others whom they will lead. This is a pastoral epistle. Paul's writing to Timothy, giving him instructions on how things need to be operated as well. That needs to be considered as well when you look at this. And so he needs order in the church. He's giving Timothy good structure for how to pastor a church. And uh, Paul was not asking the men to do anything that he, being Paul, wasn't willing to do himself and of course nor would uh, he expect any less of timothy so another passage which isn't in your notes yet as first corinthians 11 1 says be you followers of me even as i am also of christ so as paul followed christ he expected others to follow him so another reason paul was pointing this out was because timothy didn't see his uh didn't see all this modeled in the home so timothy doesn't come from a home uh that like paul probably came from because uh, his dad was a gentile and uh and so he also needs real instruction 
reflection on how God wants this done in the church. His primary spiritual influence was his maternal influences, which were good ones. In 2 Timothy, uh, Paul um, actually uh, commends uh, the female influences in his life because he tells them that that's the faith he needs to emulate. In first, in 2 Timothy 1, 5, he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, Where'd you get it? Well, which which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice? I'm persuaded of that in thee also. So the standard of faith that he's looking for is what he saw modeled in his um, his mother and grandmother. And so Paul is not throwing the women under the bus at all. As a matter of fact, he's he's actually what what a lot of people don't understand that want to take pot shots at Paul is he's actually a women's liber in the context of the culture of his day. The fact that he addresses Aquila and Priscilla and Priscilla and Aquila, the fact that he sends Phoebe with the Book of Romans from Corinth uh, or from Rome, uh, from Rome to Corinth with the. Uh, from Corinth to Rome, yeah, from Corinth to Rome, he sends Phoebe uh, to to make that run. I mean, Paul definitely was not a male chauvinist. He was giving liberty uh, where there wasn't liberty in that culture because of Christ and Christ in them. He worked with Lydia, and uh, and so he was definitely not a, a male chauvinist. So he says in Second uh, Timothy five six, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou strip the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. And uh, Paul knew that if Timothy was going to lead a strong spiritual witness, and he needed to be a strong spiritual man. And it takes a man who prioritizes prayer to lead women who prioritize prayer because, frankly, oftentimes women are better at praying than men. And so men are often doers and uh, they need to be when they need to be prayers. So we've read our text and the, and the chapter. We're going to be looking here at 9 through 15. So we see three things that uh, the remainder of our time we'll look at here in 2 Timothy. Uh, and I do want to finish this chapter up tonight, if at all possible. And that is that warring women are manifest by three things. They're good looking. And in parentheses to God, uh, they're good. They have good learning and good living. So let's look at point one: good looking to God. First Timothy two nine. In like manner also, the women adorn themselves with modest apparel. He's talking about how they look on the outside, but he's contrasting that against the men of, of prayer um, that are all men are praying everywhere, uh, and he's asking them to make sure that they are um, uh, in, in, in you know doing what they're supposed to be doing as men. Um, and likewise, also he says in verse. In like manner, I should say, in verse 9, like manner also. So he's contrasting them against the men. So he says, in like manner also, um, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with bra- uh, braided hair, or I call bla- uh, braided. If you got an Oxford, they put the, the word plated in there because uh, that word is used over in... Uh, in uh, in First Peter, it's called, I believe it's First Peter. I'll get the reference for you here directly. Uh, is it First Peter 3? Yeah, it's, it's also called plated hair, which is the same word there that's braided. Huh? Yeah. And so um, in First Timothy 2, 9 through 10 here, uh, he's also concerned, obviously, on not the outside, but the inside. Uh, you know, because what, what, what really makes a woman look good is godliness. And that's really what he's saying in verse 10. Uh, he's like, hey, d- make sure that the, 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 there's modest apparel, shamefacedness, sobriety. Make sure they're not, you're not getting attention for the wrong things. It's not about your hairdo. It's not about your gold. It's not about your pearls. It's not about your costly array. But that which becometh a woman professing godliness with good works. And so... 
Um, and so good works is the emphasis there, of course, in parenthesis, uh, to get the sense, uh, the King James gang made sure we understood that. Actually, that was in the Greek too, which becometh, uh, which, uh, becometh a woman professing godliness because it's not in italics. So, uh, that, that parenthesis uh, needs to be, uh, you know, looked at both ways. Um, and so we, uh, point A, to look good to God, women need to mind their manners. Now that is an inflammatory statement, isn't it? But it's true. That's what Paul is saying. You need to, they need to mind their manners. Now Paul is saying, now before you get mad at me, I'm picking that up from the first three words in chapter 9. In like manner also. So what manners are they minding? Well, they're minding the manners uh, that they've already seen and displayed in the men in verses 1 through 8. In like manner also. So mind, put your mind on what you just read. And then translate that to how you as a lady need to conduct yourself. That's what Paul is saying. Mind your manners, right? Mind these manners. Understand that you need to be praying women like the praying men. And hopefully those men are, are, uh, in all, are, are praying and leading a, a godly and honest, a peaceable life. It was what verse 2 talks about. And he's telling them that they need to be godly. Uh, and they need to profess godliness with good works. So the outward working. Now he's not talking about getting saved. They're already saved. And so Paul is saying before we jump all over the need for women to adorn themselves in modest apparel and be shamefaced and sober, we need to see that Paul is correlating their behavior to that of the men. And it's highly unlikely that women will be modest in dress and demure in relation to men and sober if their men are not sober and vigilant. Right, so if you're asking a woman to be sober and moderate, you need them to be with sober men that are vigilant in following the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so there's a time for fighting and there's a time for fun. And when it comes to worship and prayer, the emphasis is to be upon God's business, not on attracting flies with honey. Right, so um, so he's saying, look, ladies, uh, there's a time. Uh, and this is not the time nor the place. When we come together in the household of faith, we need to be about the business of God. We need to be about our, our having our, our focus on things above. So remember, this is a state of war. Now, in First Peter five, flip over to First Peter chapter five, and you get an, and Paul and Peter had the same mindset. So here, Peter and Paul, Mary was not involved. Uh, Peter and Paul are together, and <laughs> you got that, yeah. So. <clears throat> ha ha ha! And he's like wah wah wah. So uh, in First Peter chapter five, Peter and Paul are on the same mind, and uh, we'll back up to verse seven. He says, or verse six: Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand, under the mighty hand of God, that that uh, He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him. Not some of it, but all, for He careth for you. God loves you; He cares for you. But there's a war, right? So be sober. Be vigilant, verse 8, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. There is a lion on the loose. And uh, there's actually a serpent on the loose, but he roars like a lion because he's emulating Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he says this, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same uh, afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And so be sober and be vigilant. And it is a time of war. So both men and women in the church need to be serious about uh, attracting God's attention and not that of the opposite sex. Uh, that's really what Paul's talking about. And, uh, uh, and so uh, he's saying, look, guys, don't, uh, ladies, don't distract the men. Men, don't be distracted by the ladies. Stay focused, grasshopper, on the mission at hand. Point B, look good to God. Look, looking good to God is different um, than uh, looking good to the world. 
So looking good to God is different. That should be then, not that. Look, looking di- uh, good to the world. So looking good to God is different than looking good uh, to the world. So uh, last Father's Day, many of you know, Matthew West released a funny song uh, with a sober truth called Modest is Hottest. Using a common vernacular of the day and his wit, he crafted this very funny and truthful song about a desire of a father uh, to keep his daughter from comporting herself in a way that was inappropriate. And so he, he overdid it on purpose uh, to be funny, but it got the point across. And it, have you all heard the song, Modest is Hottest? So we've all heard it. Here's the lyrics. Uh, Dear daughter, it's me, your father. I think it's time we had a talk. The boys are coming round because you're beautiful, and it's all your mother's fault. I've been trying hard to raise you upright. No drinking, no smoking, no swearing. But your old man's got a little more advice when it comes to clothes that you're wearing. Listen. Modest is hottest. The latest fashion is the latest fashion trend. It's a little more Amish and a little less Kardashian. Uh, what the boys really love is a turtleneck and a sensible pair of slacks. Honey, modest is hottest. Sincerely, your dad. If I if I catch you doing dances on that t- TikTok in a crop top, so help me God, you'll be grounded till the world stops. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Because modest is hottest, the latest fashion trend. It's a little more Amish, a little less Kardashian. What the boys really love is a, is a turtleneck and a sensible pair of slacks. Honey, modest is hottest. Sincerely, your dad. All the parents are saying their prayers that all their, their girls, that they'll be wearing uh, more layers. Moms and dads around the world, yeah, they're on their knees. Lord, make them more like Jesus and less like Cardi B. No offense, Cardi B. I'm just, it's just I, I'm sure she's really a nice girl and Jesus loves her, but I just think. <laughs> so he put all this in lyric form. It's hilarious. So modest is hottest, he says. The latest fashion trend, a little more Amish and a little less Kardashian. What the boys really love is a turtleneck and a sensible pair of slacks honey modest is heart hottest sincerely your dad and that's of course the refrain so uh, matthew west was trying to be humorous as he spoke the truth uh, and unfortunately this simple song was reviled by the world and even progressive christians and he had to pull it off the internet and take it down and you cannot find that song anymore uh, because it was so offensive can you believe that and that's true. And so he didn't want to divide the church, and he didn't want to divide uh, and have his message m- messed up. So he relented, and he took it off. I was like, I was bummed. I'm like, come on, man. Can anybody? I mean, what a, what a joke. But anyway, so Matthew is, is really just pointing out that modest is a biblical value. And in truth, it's more beautiful than the standards of the world. And that's really what he's trying to tell his daughters in a funny way. And so Paul is able to point out uh, things that women uh, to this day use to enhance their physical beauty. So there's nothing new in this list, right? Broided hair, braided hair, plating of the hair, First Peter 3.3, 3, whose adorning let it not be as the outward adorning of plating of the hair and the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. He's not saying you can't uh, do your hair. Right, can't have your hair did, as they say in the hood. But uh, you can do your hair. There's nothing wrong. One preacher used to say, "If the barn needs painting, paint it." You know, so you know that's whatever. But um, gold uh, or pearls or costly array. What are you saying? Don't put your emphasis on that. Don't make it about that. It's not that these don't have a certain physical enhancement, but the subject in this text is prayer. It's prayer and getting hold of God's attention. He's saying, "Look." Uh, we need to make sure we're getting a hold of God's attention. If you want to get a hold of God's attention, a woman should focus on a meek and quiet spirit that move the hidden man of the heart. It's really about priority. And so if a woman looks good to God, she'll look great to her husband. 
by the way, and uh, and uh, anyone else for that matter. And so if uh, and so that's the reality. Peter has to has a lot to say about the impact of a woman who looks good on the inside, and it's not all about uh, courting, right? It's about after you've uh, been wed. In First Peter chapter three, we're already in Peter First Peter five. Go back to chapter three again, a familiar passage, but in the context of what uh, 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 Paul is saying here, I think it gives us some insights uh, and kind of adds a little bit more nuance to what we're seeing in the in the context of history and the context of what this is really bringing across. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, uh, uh, Peter says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, uh, that if any obey not the word, they also may be without the word, won by the conversation of their wives. And we know that conversation here means lifestyle. You could plug that into Second First uh, Peter chapter two, and he says uh, a life that becomes good works. Let them see you by your lifestyle, right? Your conversation, your good works, uh, that Christ is dwelling in you. Verse two: While they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear. I heard just this morning Steve was preaching on this very subject of chastity and what that really has to do with purity. Um, and so in virtue, 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 the word virtue has to do with power, purity and power. And so while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of the hair, right, the or braided hair, and wearing of the gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the uh, hidden man of the heart, that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So he doesn't want, and this is not to be offensive, but true, a bunch of loudmouth, uh, obstinate women running around the church, distracting by their outward beauty and their obnoxious behavior from what God is trying to accomplish, undermining the authority of the men and the forward progress of the church, vying for the power. Now, in Ephesus, where uh, Timothy would, would uh, eventually pastor, uh, in Ephesus, they had a, they had a temple prostitutes. And, and, and so one of the things that Paul's doing, too, is saying, hey, you don't want to look like the temple prostitute, right? You want to, be, you want to have some distinction between you and them. Uh, and so, uh, and so that is exactly what's going on there. And so he he's telling them, um, <clears throat> he's telling them that while they behold their chaste conversation, uh, a woman uh, who's trying to get some traction with her her husband. We're not talking about trying to catch a husband. This is someone she's already got. Who's adorning? Let it not be the outward adorning, the plain, right? All the outward stuff. Uh, is not what it's about, verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even an ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. God values that, whether your husband does or not. For after this manner in old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Notice he says own husbands. Uh, and so they weren't looking to, which happens when, as a pastor, you find, and you know, when you become a pastor uh, or ministry head, sometimes you'll find these women who always want to end around their husband. They want to go around their husband, come to you for you override their husband. And if you point them back to their husband, they don't like it. That is not a First Peter chapter three type of gal. For after this manner in the old time, holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. And so, 
hey, listen, I don't want to see I don't want to see my daughter settle for the latest supermodel. Uh, she will look much better uh, with God esteem, right? So looking like the most beautiful person in the world, Elizabeth is here. Doesn't matter uh, on the exterior if the interior isn't isn't godly, right? It isn't going to matter what the it doesn't matter how you paint the barn. If inside it's full of manure, right? And so uh, what we need to have is is work from the inside out. And so there are some ladies attending church who were a distraction. They look good. In fact, they look too good. Uh, there were some women who needed to dress to please the Lord and not their onlookers, right? Just because their mama gave it to them doesn't mean they need to show it off, right? It's like, hey, keep that down, and uh, and uh, let's make sure everybody's focused on the Lord. Don't make yourself the center of attention. It doesn't mean you have to wear a dress or jeans or pantsuit or whatever, but make sure whatever you wear is modest because you can wear a dress and not be modest. And uh, and so uh, it's uh, that's the key is modest is modest, right? So notice uh, what it takes to change a man who is not in Christ. Now, 1 Peter 3 is not dealing with a, a, a couple that's equally yoked, but a couple who's unequally yoked. Be in subjection to your own husbands, if any obey not the word, that they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation of their wives. Now, it doesn't say necessarily they're lost. We use this primarily in the context of an unequally yoked couple. But it's a, it's a man who's not obeying the word. There's also carnal husbands, men that go to church that are carnal as the day is long. How are you going to have influence? Or they don't go to church and their wife comes. A lot of churches full of women and no men. I was just watching a missionary send me a bunch of videos. Was that you I was showing the video to, Amy, or the pictures? We were looking at them together. Maybe it was Luke in the office. But we were looking at these pictures of this missionary, and it was amazing. There was not a man there. Now, maybe they were all working, but it was all women. This pastor's going through, you know, having a service. And uh, that's the way it is in a lot of countries. That's why the Gold Bank, the gold bank focuses on women and microloans, because the women are responsible for their children and will go to work and pay back those loans, where the men are oftentimes getting drunk, being deadbeats. Now, it's not the women's responsibility to make the men be men. That's why we need godly men. That's why Paul putting the emphasis on godly men but if you're going to find a godly man man he needs a good godly wife right he needs a lady that will help model what that looks like so that they can get some traction in the culture and change uh, the culture because it's not going to work well if you continue in that pattern and so that's what it takes that's what it takes is someone who's willing to be biblically beautiful and have it resonating from the hidden man of the heart it's more attractive to a lost man or a man who's not in the word than the outward beauty Think about that. That's literally what he's saying. If you want to influence your husband, uh, then don't don't worry about the outward. I mean, it doesn't hurt. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, if you really want to get a, capture him, work on the inside. Be beautiful on the inside, and man, the rest will take care of itself. And so that's exactly what that's exactly what Peter's saying, and that's also what Paul's saying. In this context, is dealing practically though with the relationship between a husband and a wife, and a wife, and a husband who's not exactly following the Lord, and is a little obstinate. He says, "Okay, well, hey, listen, I got a tool. It's his godly wife. She is like the Bible. Let her walk it out in front of him, and that will that will uh, that will convict him, and by God's grace, he'll get saved." So Paul points to the past if you want to have a powerful future. We all know Sarah followed her man Abraham. Um, uh, I said, I said, Paul. I should have said Peter. Peter points to the past. Uh, so uh, Peter points uh, to the past if we want to follow, if we want a powerful future. So we know that Sarah followed after her man Abram, and he wasn't the best husband, was he? And he didn't always follow the Lord. 
I mean, he went down to Egypt, and then he gave... I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I'm a little disgusted with Abraham to this. I still get frustrated when I read this story, how he just gives up his wife to Pharaoh, you know, and, and he does it again to Abimelech. I'm like, what is wrong with you, man? And, uh, man, she must have been super gracious, or she was ready to get a new husband. I don't know. But, uh, but uh, you know, she, she submitted to, to Abraham very clearly. Uh, and so Sarah... Uh, now, we also know Sarah laughed, but God just overlooked that, and he doesn't record that in the Hall of Fame of Faith. God commends Sarah for submitting to God and uh, his man Abraham, even though we know she laughed, right? So she didn't have to be sinlessly perfect, but she had a track record of submitting to Abraham. And uh, and don't be discouraged if you're not perfect, but strive to honor Christ so your prayer is honored. And that's exactly what was the issue. They were having a reproductive issue, and they were praying, and God honored that in spite of themselves, when they were completely unable to have children, then God blessed them with a child to prove his power. And it was of him, and it wasn't of their flesh. It was of faith. It may not be in your time, but it's God's time. So God will accomplish his will and his power for his glory. And so your husband may not yield just because you're godly, but it's all about God's timing. Let God do the work. So point five, good works work good for manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Good works work good for manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. So in Ephesians 2.10, the Bible Bible says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So six of the nine fruit of the Spirit can be visible through the believer. In Galatians 5.22, you guys know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. But when you get to long-suffering, long-suffering, uh, well, I suppose a love, joy, and peace can be manifest in a physical way, but certainly long-suffering can be seen. Uh, especially in the context of First Peter chapter 3. Gentleness can be seen. Goodness can be seen. Faith can be seen. Meekness can be seen. And temperance can be seen. And again, such there is no law. Those are the, that's what's in the hidden man of the heart, even if you're a woman, right? That's the things that, that, that's who Jesus is, and that's what needs to be manifest. So what are some practical ways women can manifest long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance? That's a question. What do you think, El? Amy knows what it's like to put up do long suffering. She puts up with me every day. Long suffering. I can think of some practical ones. Like uh let me think of some real ones, Amy. Get what how do you put up with me? What do I not do perpetually that you want me to do? Did I leave my underwear on the floor? That's a big one in some people's houses. Or not to put the dishes where they're supposed to be. Or whatever it is, right? A wife can be patient, long-suffering, instead of snapping. You know? And of course, I'm not beating up on the men. I'm not beating up on the women because uh, men get what they deserve. They oftentimes their wife is the picture of the, what they're investing, right? So, but but I mean, if you're really trying to get some traction it, with what Paul's saying, uh, even though you may not have equal footing in as regard to having a, a pulpit and being able to command the church and give instructions, he's like, listen, you're witness uh, of that hidden man of the heart. Your your long suffering, your gentleness. Your goodness, you know, even just a smile, joy of the Lord is your strength. Um, faith, man, a, a, a woman of faith who believes God. You think of Bobby Blaine, man, she's always praying. She's she's always, half the time she's like, man, I don't have enough faith. And the other half of the time I'm like, man, this is a great woman of faith. You know, she doesn't even realize how faithful she is. 
um, I know a lady, I won't say names, but I know a lady that is long-suffering. I, she lived with a man that was kind of like, um, uh, who's the dude that had the heart attack? Uh, uh, Abigail and Nabal. Kind of like Nabal. And people in the church are like, <clears throat> man, lady, you need to leave that guy. And she calls me and, and she's like, man, the women of the church are telling me I need to leave my husband because he's a jerk. And he is a jerk. He's made a profession of Christ, but he's, he's carnal. He's not a good husband. He's not a good husband. But you know what she says? I love him. He's the husband God gave me. And God gave her supernatural love. And you know what was manifest in a very tangible way? Now, he wasn't abusive in this physically, just emotionally. Um, uh, not like just, but he was emotional abuse. Uh, but he was this, this lady loved him. And she, to those that knew, the ladies who knew in the church, she showed them what long-suffering was. And to this day, they're together, and, and I'm never going to give up the names. But the point is, is that uh, is that I've I've seen this happen in the church, and I, and I look at that lady, and and I think, man, praise God, that's an example, that's a practical example of a long suffering lady, and it's benefited her husband. And even if she never goes around the world on a missions trip or never does all that other stuff, when she gets the judgment seat of Christ, I guarantee you, she's getting a crown in glory. You know what? She's getting a martyr's crown because <laughs> she's died daily <laughs> to live with that fella. And it's paid off because over time, God's made him a, a gentler, uh, more Christ-honoring fellow. And uh, he's, he's definitely a better man because he's got a good wife. And so, in a way, God's answering her prayer. And so it's just, it's not easy, is it? It's not easy to be long-suffering. It's not easy to be gentle when maybe your husband's a jerk. It's not easy to be good when someone's hateful um, uh, or faithful when someone's faithless or meek when somebody is a, a overbearing jerk face or temperate uh, when somebody's given to excess, right? But you know what? Um, whether you're a guy or a gal, if we display those things and that's working out of our life, the Bible promises that will that will do more than anything we say. That will speak louder than words, and it will have a huge influence on people, most notably the people who live with us. So what are some practical ways that, that that can be done? Well, you can think about those on your own. I don't think you're ready to answer all those questions, but I've given you some food for thought. So that will look very good to God, and that's my point. It will look good to God. It will look good to her husband. And then let's get back to our, the context of the text tonight. It will look good to the church. And it's not about a phony looking good. It's not a facade. It will be authentic, like we were talking about this morning. It will be an authentic beauty that resonates from the inside out. And uh, tonight I'm going to stop here. Even though I wanted to go further, we're going to stop. And we'll have to revisit this. And uh, I was going to say, this has to have a pin in it. There we go. Um, But uh, when I was a a younger man, uh, I had a good friend of mine. Uh, and he was sharing with me his mother in regard to she was a warring woman and she looked good to God. And he was telling me what she would do. And I never forgot it. Uh, his dad, they were missionaries in Ethiopia. And uh, and her husband, it was Don, uh, Don Sidebottom, would go out on these ex- excursions before cell phones. So she couldn't track him on her cell phone. And uh, when he went out, uh, Mike, the the boy, uh, they were he had another brother and um they were left at home with Mama, and he said Mom would be outside with the clothes hanging, uh, you know, drying the clothes, doing the laundry and all that, the old-fashioned way. And she'd be out there with her Bible praying for hours as uh, Dad was out on his excursions uh, taking the gospel around Ethiopia. 
and uh, praying in the backyard left an incredible impression. Not only, uh, I'm sure it was a beautiful thing for Don Sidebottom, uh, Phyllis was her name, Phyllis Sidebottom, but it left a huge impression on Mike Sidebottom. And Mike Sidebottom, guess who he was? He's a guy that became a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, but also the prayer leader uh, of our prayer team for a guy named Mike Blake. And so when we talk about prayer teams at HBF, actually my experience, my best experience I've ever had with a prayer team, I mean, I had some great ones with the one I led, but probably one of the greatest experiences I had was able to be with Mike Sidebottom, who was a true prayer, and is, not was, is a true prayer warrior because of his mother, right, and the example that she was. Now, they weren't having tension, and Don isn't lost, and out of God's will, and neither was Phyllis, but the point is, is they had what we're talking about going on. These were serious people about God's mission, and Don was doing his part, Phyllis was doing her part, and then it affected the children in a big way. And uh, Don, or uh, Mike was telling me a story when he was uh, young, him and, and Jeannie were just getting their marriage started, and down in Warrensburg, I think they were still probably in college or just getting out of college, CMSU, and uh, they had no groceries. And he decided that he went to church that night, and all he had his tithe was his money in his pocket. And so he put it in, and he said on the way out the door, by faith, right? He put that in, and on the way out the door, somebody walked up to him and said, Hey, Mike, um, God put this on our heart. We just want to, we just, and they gave him bags of groceries. And uh, he hadn't said a word to anybody. And uh, God, God just took care of him. Where did he get that kind of faith? He got it from his mama, Phyllis, and his daddy, Don, right? And that was caught and wasn't just taught because he saw that coming from the inside out. And so what an incredible thing to have that kind of example. And what a thing, and I, I mentioned that story because that still affects me to this day. We just had a great prayer meeting in our house a few weeks ago. And, and uh, you know, I think back to, I always, when I have a prayer meeting at my house, I think back to Don and Phyllis, or not Don, but Mike Sidebottom, who was influenced greatly by his mother, Phyllis Sidebottom, when he was a kid growing up in Ethiopia. And so <clears throat> she was a prayer warrior, and now he's a prayer warrior because of that influence. So that affects women. Want, if a woman really want to have influence on men, Man, uh, modest is hottest. Matthew West has it right. And uh, that will affect people from the inside out. And so, uh, Jeff, we're done with the set lesson tonight. Did she get here? Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure she'll figure it out some other time because we're going to lock the doors and get out of here. I want to make a comment about dress because in Guatemala, in the private schools and the public schools, you were required to wear uniforms. And for girls, it had to be so many inches below your knee. Mm-hmm. And I have been appalled at what I have seen in the middle school and the high school here in the dress that girls wear, or lack of dress, I should say. And I think, where are their mothers and fathers? They don't. They must not go by them as they come to school because I know I <clears throat> let my daughter not wear or wear what she's not wearing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You won't let her wear what she's not wearing. Exactly. It is unbelievably lewd. And uh and it's not it's not yeah, it is. It's it's getting worse all the time. And uh even though they supposedly have dress codes, but they're really not dress codes. No, it's it's getting bad. Those yoga pants are horrible. And uh and so yeah, it is it is you know, it's a battle. 
And if a parent doesn't have Christ, it's a it's a losing battle. Uh, and even with Christ, it's a tough battle. So um, it is, yeah, it's a tough situation. Well, again, it's it's what we're talking about. Um, what I'm talking about on Sunday morning is fantasy reality are getting blurred. Um, the influence of technology is greater than the parents. There's an authority issue. Parents don't have the authority because there's another authority entering the home. So back in the Cold War era, right, in, China, in communist China, they did that through, you know, really totalitarian tactics uh, and limited a lot of things. But now it's the opposite. The devil's smart. So instead of limiting, he's given all this access, and it just floods out the authority of the home. And uh, that's why dinners at home, and we're not good at this because my schedule that I keep, but having dinner at the table, one of the things I would encourage parents to do is make dinner time a priority where you have table time because it's proven statistically they help give influence in the home for, for all of the matters. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a symptom, not the problem, but it is a, it's a, this is a big enough problem in, in uh, Corinth. I don't mention Corinth in this series that I'm teaching, but in, it's a problem because that's, that was a, dist- that's what Paul's saying is look, ladies, you know, make sure your influence is that of, of godliness and not of, of carnality. Uh, and being physically beautiful is not what church is about, you know. Um, and, you know, the problem is, is with independent fundamental Baptists who turn that upside down and then blame the women because a bunch of men are a bunch of perverts, you know. So it's like, well, listen, it ain't all on the women's, you know, deal here. It's not that these poor men can't control themselves. That's their own, uh, that's their own problem. So this has gotten increasingly um, difficult in our culture uh, to even talk about. Because of the history in uh, in uh, the United States, yeah, Ron. Going back to the Victorian era, you know, we kind of touched on that that, that women married pretty young. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying there wasn't sin back then because there was, but you know that goes back to First Corinthians seven two: Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Absolutely. The, to avoid the fornication that happens. Absolutely. Yeah, and God's not limiting anything, and He's not He's not limiting uh, anything actually uh, at all in this regard. He's actually prioritizing Christ and worship above all the all the issues of the uh, even the good ones that God's blessed the family. But the church is not the place for hooking up. God will provide your wife or husband in the field, it is a good place to find a husband or wife, obviously, as like Ruth and Boaz, as they're focused on the field and the work that God has. But the way you attract is from the inside out, not the outside in. And and amen. I think we all get that. But it is it is totally upside down and backwards today in our culture. Um, you know, I don't know that I've, you know, I don't beat the drum on that very much here, probably. I should probably bring that up more. Um uh, and so I'm sure like I'm sure like Sam Miles is probably hitting that drum a lot harder with all the college age people he has down in uh, down in uh, yeah. but we need we definitely need to be about that and uh, and we need to understand it and model it so yep um, so good good looking to God is the priority if you're good looking to God all the other stuff will make itself work out yeah, and uh, you focus on those the fruit of the spirit that can be manifest, and uh, the rest of the, everything else will naturally take care of itself. And and really, ultimately, when it comes to and he's not talking about virgins here. He's talking about women. You know, he's not just talking about the young lady wearing the you know scantily clad clothes. He's talking about ladies that are taking the attention off of 
what God brought the church together for to put the attention upon themselves. So when they walk in the room, everybody's going, oh, oh, hi, I'm glad you're here, right? And he's like, no, we need to keep this focus on things above. And uh, and so that's really what he's talking about as well. It's not. It's it's really not about the virgins. That's going to be in the in the historical context. That would have been taken care of in the home, right? Today, it's not in the home so much. It's uh, because culture is getting out of hand. Good discussions, though. Uh, too bad we don't have more people here to have a. Maybe I need to do this on a Wednesday night when there's three times the people. <laughs> so uh, or Sunday morning. All right, so that's good. We'll pick it up. I still got, uh, I still got uh, the other two points to go, so I didn't get as far as I wanted to. So we'll pick up in verse eleven next time. All right. So I said we have a lot to pray for. We do. Um, I'll try to get you out of here. So I'm get for you. I hate you. I hate to have you out there in the eggs. No, I didn't, Ron. I know you saw that, didn't you? So.